Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 20 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage from Isaiah chapter 64 and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All right, we are in the Old Testament today, talking about Augsburg Confession, Article 20, Faith and Good Works. And uh, we chose a passage that may be like PG, PG-13. No, I don't know. Well, it's it's vivid, vivid. is what we would say. Yeah. It, it uses vivid imagery, but this, this passage is... Uh, one of the examples I use when I when I teach the 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 entire message of Scripture or how unified the message of Scripture is one of the concepts I've developed to teach that is called the the straight line principle. How you can take a couple of passages and draw a straight line through them to the payoff in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and and we'll be talking about this. This passage is central in Scripture to the idea of both justification and um, to the sacraments. It's mm. it's a really fun passage to talk about in this way, and, yeah. and uh, there is a lot of um, flashbacks here to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, Brett, you ready? I want to hear the word. All right, let's let's hear it. It's um, Isaiah 64. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 for us today. And it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and, ha- and shall we be saved. We, all, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand." Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Uh, Here ends the reading. Amen. 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 Love that passage. Yeah. Yep. Now, why did you think of uh, this passage in terms of good works and, and faith? Um, well, it's more or less in terms of good works and, and not necessarily faith as being central, but this is the picture of good works apart from faith. Uh, you, you have a very explicit statement right in the center of this passage, yep. verse 6, that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So let's get this first level out <laughs> of what we're talking about. Polluted garment yeah. is the most politically correct, neutral yeah. way of saying what's saying here. Literally, uh, the, the term that is used that is translated polluted garment is a menstrual garment. 
Uh, and, and probably the most vivid depiction of what is going on here that we could use in a modern translation would be closer to a dirty diaper, mm-hmm. is what this is like. And, and so you have this sense of the best of what we do, even as it is done for God, the, the things that we would call most righteous, the best of that is refuse before God, yeah. is, is trash. Yeah. And uh, until we get to that point in our understanding of good works, uh, we're always going to be trying to bring our good works into the equation when mm-hmm. it comes to our justification. Yeah. And, and we're just not permitted by Scripture, and specifically passages like this, yep. uh, we're not permitted to do that. Right. One of the things I think uh, from the front end is it's a good key distinction you made there, Jason, about justification, because that's what this passage is talking about. Our righteous deeds are absolutely uh, impotent when it comes to uh, being able to put us in a right relationship with God. One of the pushbacks I get, and I get this from my students actually from time to time, is, well, we can't do anything good. Well, that's not necessarily true. I have a number of neighbors who are not uh, Christians and do not claim to be Christians. And of those neighbors, many of them, I'm, I'm talking literal neighbors now, um, they, they come around, you know, and, and they help me with different things, and they're great people. But that doesn't get them anywhere vertically. That doesn't get them anywhere in their relationship with God. But boy, I sure, you know, God is still working through them. You know, he still works through unbelievers. He he causes the the sun to shine on the the just and the unjust. But the the key distinction here is we're talking we're talking justification. Yeah. Yeah, and this this kind of reminds me of that quote from that book The Hammer of God uh, by Bo Geertz. Of, Great book. Yeah, yep. Uh, <laughs> that that one line I'm probably going to butcher it here, but uh, the the one character is talking about giving his heart to God yes. and uh, the other character is saying, you know, no God, God your heart's like that tin can that you just poke a stick through and and I, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys no, can no, take I, it from there. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember the quote, but yeah. basically, like, to the, the God doesn't want your heart. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Not, he doesn't want yeah. that. Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was something like, why would God want your heart? It's basically like a tin can that's been yeah. thrown away. It's all right. rusted, and you, you, I mean, it's it's garbage. Yep. And and we want. I mean, again, modern American Christianity is focused and built on the idea of commitment and sincerity, something we are doing for God. Hmm. And a passage like this eliminates that <laughs> from eternity. Uh, yeah. You know, you. Uh, I mean, there's a gospel and a law way to understand the lead up into verse six, you know, and, and I prefer to look at the gospel end of things because what mm-hmm. it helps, but literally picture yourself face to face with the God of the universe in, in everything in verses one through five would absolutely happen if God would, would make himself visible and show up on your front door. The, the, the heavens would quake, the earth would shake, uh, people would scream in terror and then he looks at you and, and, and imagine just like the modern, uh, a, a certain genre of modern praise choruses does, imagine talking about how sincere and committed you are to God as he's standing at your front door. That, that doesn't matter at this point because you are a sinful creature. You know, behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our eyes, we have been a long, or in our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? That's the point. We sinned and made God angry. And then in God's anger, we sinned some more so that we remain in our sins. There is no way for us to climb out of the pit of our sinfulness on our own, in our own efforts and with our own behavior. And yeah, that verse seven. There, there's no one who calls on upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. Yeah, and uh, this is highlighting the problem 
with our sin. And, and we have this notion, this is, comes right out of our sinful nature. It comes right out of our lack of free will, you know, uh, concupiscence. Nailed yeah. it that time. I was yes. going to say, yeah. didn't even need help. No. There we go. Uh, it, it comes from all of that. that so proud of you. That we're going to want to... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to want to take credit for what we do because we think the good cancels out the bad. Or if the mm. good outweighs the bad, that we're in case. But that's not the way God grades because God is absolute and complete perfection. I think it's interesting here who's saying this too. Who is the Me? one? No, not, oh, okay. not you, Jason. <laughs> Somebody far more important, okay. Isaiah. No, oh, okay. Isaiah, prophet, he's Isaiah. writing clarifying. The, the prophet writes this, and he's the guy who had actually kind of been in the throne room of God. Behold, you know, in the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And uh, it wasn't exactly a high five. Hey, good to see you. You know, it was, oh man, I'm ruined. And it's the exact same picture of when sinners are in the presence of God. Uh, R.C. Sproul talks about that with the uh, the example of Peter uh, when, you know, he gets the large catch of fish and he comes up and he, and he throws himself down and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. When you see the holiness of God and, and you get that glimpse of that lion of Judah, you get that glimpse of that lion, you, you realize no, there's, we, this is not going to go well for me. <laughs> this is not okay. And, and, and that's the beauty of the gospel. When you know that there's a God who, has, as C.S. Lewis describes him in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when he describes him as the one who's not safe, but he's good. Yeah. You know, that the idea, yeah, that the, uh, the idea of the, the not safe, but good aspect makes the gospel so much better, so much more beautiful when we see how high and lifted up exalted and how holy and transcendent he is. In comparison to our sin, it makes the gospel that much more wonderful. Well, and, and, you know, that's the whole point with what passages like this and what the flow of Scripture says, is that we need to be confronted with God in his perfection. And what we, we want to interact with God in his grandfatherliness, but we get God in his perfection, and, and every single time in scripture where someone carries the attitude that God should be happy that I'm on his team, <laughs> that person gets rebuked and humbled. You know, the difference, Isaiah, who sometimes people call the writer of the fifth gospel, you know, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, you can make a reasonable argument that it is the central book of the Old Testament, the most important theological mm -hmm. book. Isaiah is first among the prophets as far as writing skill and ability. And, and this man who was uh, a court prophet of multiple kings, I mean, he had every reason to be a celebrity pastor, he's ushered into the presence of God, Isaiah. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Then you have Jonah. Yeah. And, and, and Jonah's like, okay, I know better than God does. Yeah. And, and I was afraid to preach the gospel, God, because I know you are merciful. Uh, I don't want to have the Ninevites repenting. And God humbles him multiple times in his book, you know. Or you have Peter who is going to piously not let Christ go to the cross and Christ, you know, smacks him upside the head and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Or you have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple. And, and Jesus presents the tax collector as, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. I, the I, Pharisee. The Pharisee. Yeah. Uh, I, I fast and tithe and uh, I'm not even like this tax collector. And the tax collector, tax collector before God says, woe is me. 
uh, or have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And he goes home justified. That's the whole point. When we think uh, God should be congratulating us for being on his team, that's when we're going to get smacked by the law the hardest because it's not about us. It's not about who we are or what we've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a, a humbling that takes place here uh, by having our, our bubbles popped that, you know, the things that we're producing, these righteous deeds are are something, <laughs> but, no. but God calls them this, uh, this filthy garment. Uh, yeah. It's incidentally to this actually goes in such a way that this is the kind of, we see these, these undulations, maybe that's another good word, uh, in scripture, the ups and the downs where we see the law, of the gospel, the law, of the gospel, and these rhythms of law and gospel coming through. Cause the same thing is true in Romans when Paul, in fact, he quotes the, a part of this chapter, um, in chapter three of Romans, he says, you know, there's no one who does good, no one who is righteous, nobody seeks after God and all of these, all of these things. And the whole setup for that, the whole reason Paul goes off in that, in fact, he goes off in it for a long time. He goes from chapter one, verse 18, all the way through three, cha- uh, chapter three, verse 20 on how nobody, ain't nobody, <laughs> nobody going to save themselves here, you know? And, and then that sets you up for that picture in Romans three, probably 21 through about what, 26, that paragraph there, I might be wrong. 28. Uh, little bit off on the verses, but the whole, that whole paragraph is, if you just had that, (laughs) if you knew that you were a sinner, you come away with that, that paragraph, you know, everything there is to know. You ain't bring nothing to the table. And here's Christ who has come and rescued you. And this is how he did it. This is what he did. This is what you didn't bring. This is what he did bring to that table. And and that you see that rhythm throughout scripture of, of seeing, you know, reminding you, you, you know, you aren't okay. You're not good. You're not doing the right things. You can't. But he can. That that beautiful little connective word, yep. right? In but scripture. God. But God. Yeah. yeah, but. Yep. And then God. Yeah, but God. But God did this. That's Ephesians you, you 2. That, yeah. Ephesians 2, same story. Yep. Right. That whole picture. You were dead, but. <laughs> you were dead, but. Yep. And, and that, that but comes in in verse 8. But now, O oh Lord, yeah. you are our Father. Yeah, it's that same kind of gospel transition. It's it's amazing the law gospel duality going on in this passage. And and it's it's from a chronological perspective, it's actually inverted as far as sin and repentance is concerned because if you come to God uh, with your good works, hoping to be justified, the image that starts in 64 verse 1 is the image of Jesus returning on judgment day. You know, yeah. that, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Jesus is literally going to rend the heavens and come down for judgment. And you will stand before him mm-hmm. with your own good works or lack thereof and be judged by that. And, and, and it, the, the Isaiah, I was going to say the psalmist here. It feels like it's, Isaiah, <laughs> uh, Isaiah knows this. And he sets us up with these law, these terrifying images. And then he gets to that, but now, O Lord, you are our father. Hmm. And we are the clay and we are the potter. We are, and we are all the work of your hands. So that's creation imagery again. But now it's new creation imagery. Yeah. But be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And the response to that is we have every right and privilege to go back to verse 1 in light of that gospel mercy appeal and to see 64 verse 1 talking about Christ's first advent and not his second advent. Yeah. When Christ rent the heavens and came down as one of us. And, and he was known to his adversaries. The Pharisees knew all about Jesus and they were offended. And when Jesus did awesome things that we did not look for, mm-hmm. 
And uh, no one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And that is the message of the entire Old Testament, the saints of God waiting for God to show up and redeem him. And that's exactly what he did. And at the center of this is our sin and our uncleanness and what God has done for us. Mm. Yeah, and so, (laughs) yeah, that what God has done creates a new reality you know we're uh we're not uh you know our bubbles burst of our own uh you know believing our own uh news about ourselves of what we're accomplishing and and we get to see our lives now as as that new creation in Christ Jesus i think we talked about that verse a couple episodes yep. ago of you know in Christ you are a new creation and you know that verse 8 you know we're we are the clay you are the potter uh we are the work of your hand so yeah, new de- de- good deeds and faith, faith flowing through good deeds is a result of us being a new creation in Christ yep. Jesus. And and it's that that Second Corinthians five seventeen verse that that separates how we interpret this verse, whether it's a law passage or a gospel passage, and then uh, all of our righteous deeds are a pleasant aroma to God hmm. in Christ. And that's how, is that Colossians that talks about Second it? Second Corinthians, Second, I think. Uh, where it talks about our aroma of yeah. Christ. And and it's the, the way I've heard a different pastor describe this is, is the difference between someone offering you dirty laundry and wanting praise for it and a child offering you a crayon drawing and it being your most treasured oh, possession. Yeah, I love that. And it's yeah. our adoption into Christ you know, our adoption into the family of God in Christ, that as a child of God, God cannot do anything else but be pleased with us because Mm -hmm. we are his children. And then everything we do is pleasing to him because we are his children and we are covered with the robes of Christ, which is the the last thing I want to get to is is one of the favorite aha moments I've ever had about scripture. Hmm. So if you you look at verse six and I'll read it in whole, then I'll I'll draw this straight line pattern through a couple other passages. And when I I made the connection, it was in devotions one day at my desk in my office and, and it was almost could hear the popping as my mind exploded. Uh, So verse six, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and all our iniquities like the wind to take us away. Now there are multiple themes going on and images going on. First place this takes us is backwards in time to the garden of Eden. And what did Adam and Eve try to cover themselves with? Ah, leaves, yeah. Leaves. Big leaves, yeah. So the, the, the theological and the metaphorical reality of what Adam and Eve did in the garment is in them trying to sew fig leaves together to cover their hmm. shame is the same sort of thing we do when we try to use our good works to cover the shame of our sin. Hmm. They're not going to be effective. They might momentarily be a distraction, but what was the very first thing those leaves started to do when Adam and Eve plucked them and sewed them together? They started to die. They faded. They would fade and they would wither. I mean, imagine sowing, you know, in in the Twin Cities here, it'd be more like those giant maple leaves that we have on all the red maples around here. Sowing all those together, that's not going (laughs) to hold together very well for a garment, right? They they crumble and they float away in the wind like dust. What are you? I don't even want to know, Osher. I'm just thinking, when you're talking about the big maple leaves, I'm thinking about how maybe you and I would need more maple leaves than the average person (laughs) to even do it, try it. Some of us would take multiple trees worth. Yeah, but so you have these... These maple leaves. But at the end of Genesis 3, what happens? 
God gives, gives a covering Adam and Eve a better yeah. covering, and 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 this is this is the bone I always pick with Lutheran interpreters. Everyone makes a big deal about the sacrifice that the animals made. You know, the the blood was shed and, and, and it was pointing to Christ. I get it and it works, but if you read Genesis three, the animals aren't mentioned hmm. in that way. There's no mention of sacrifice. The clothing is the focus. And the idea in Genesis 3 is that God offers a better clothing than what we offer ourselves. Mm -hmm. So then you jump to Isaiah, and you have the image both of the leaves and then of the polluted garment, Mm -hmm. of our filthy garment. So what this allows us to do is to jump ahead to Galatians Mm 3.27. Galatians 3.27, whoever has been baptized has been clothed with Christ. Hmm. And the idea that God has given us a better garment, the righteousness of Christ that is applied to us in baptism. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what a passage like this is all about, is that God has granted us a righteousness that is not our own, and we are covered in it as if it is our own, just like our clothes cover us now. And, and it's something that is foreign and alien to us, but God has given us. And and that we will bear for eternity. The thing, the, the I've I've yeah, with the Kyrie eleison a while back, <laughs> I've kind of started this thing. So I won't I won't sing this, but it reminds me of the hymn "Behold a Host Arrayed in White." Yeah, and the picture of you know that there's absolutely nothing I do to bring to the table, but here is this host, this this uh, starry band uh, before the Lord of Hosts, no. and he's and there. We're wearing the clothes of righteousness that He has provided for us, and that picture in Revelation, more you know, less less uh, lyrically and more scripturally, that picture of how he's given them robes to wear, you know, that are dipped in blood and the picture of, mm-hmm. of the, the imagery that we have of that's how those saints, as they're pictured in Revelation, m- martyrs in the, in the sense of, which I, I would argue is all of us, anybody who's died in Christ uh, has died in the, in the tribulation. I would argue that my friend Brett might not, I don't know, Jason, but um, not going into end times yet, but the idea of of the uh, the presence of God, they're in the presence of God in joy, yep. because there's a garment there. And if you trace then the garment theology throughout Scripture, this makes sense in light of these this pattern of verses. Mm-hmm. Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat of many colors. <laughs> uh, it makes sense in that it was not his coat, but it was graciously granted to him out of favor for his father. Now. You know, the image breaks down because it was sinful favoritism that Jacob yeah. did, but but that's the image, the clothing. Uh, David wearing Jonathan's clothing, the royal son giving the clothing to his brother, hmm. uh, who is a peasant and a pauper. Uh, the, the parable of the wedding feast that Jesus talks mm-hmm. about, where the people from the street are called in because the guests proved unworthy. And the whole idea behind that is that the, the, the master of ceremonies would provide people with the proper attire. This, this clothing thing, God provides us a better garment. That mm-hmm. is the outcome of Isaiah 64. Yeah, that, that's a really cool theme to trace through scripture. Thanks for, for doing that. Yeah, that's interesting. And the, the tie-in then is we're free to do good works, yep. right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's no longer, the, when the garment is given to us freely and we are wearing it uh, only because it was provided to us by the grace of God, we can go forward and enjoy, uh, do what he has called us, to love our neighbor, to, to serve those in relationship around us in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to him. Well, and, and just to wrap this up, and, and, and this will be the high note we end on. I, I know I said, like, literally everything we do is is pleasing to God. And and someone will say, well, what about sin? 
And, and that's not the worry here. That's not what we bring in. And this is that passage from the large catechism that is so important uh, to me in my story of faith is that it says, even though we have sins, they cannot harm us for we are in the Christian church where there is nothing but the continuous uninterrupted forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. The whole point of being in the, in the Christian church is that we don't carry our sins with us anymore, that they're not that baggage that we drag along. They are eliminated by the blood of Christ. And so the works that we do, we are free to do them for our neighbor and we are free to do them from examining our motivation because in Christ they are made good by his righteousness Amen Thank you for joining us Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 20 of the Oxford Confession discussing a New Testament passage and its application For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.